0: All right, well, John Franklin, I appreciate you letting us take a picture of you in the woods behind your house for that video there. Uh, It's good to see you this morning. If you're with us on campus, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. And if you're joining us online, then we're grateful that you're watching with us today. If you are new to our church, uh, we really just are honored that you are checking us out online or here with us, and we would love to know who you are. You can stop by one of the welcome tents or the welcome desk, or uh, you can come and talk to me after the service, or uh, you can text the word connect to the number that is on the screen, and one of our staff members will follow up with you this week. Uh, before we dive in this morning, I just want to share with you because uh, most of you uh, weren't at our town hall last week. I know that because the room was full Less than half this full, and we have three services. So, uh, most of you don't know this, but uh, at our town hall last week, one of the things that we did was we voted to redefine our ministry leadership teams. So, uh, for those that you don't know, our church has a shared vision and direction. But since uh, you know the, 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 we're the size of the pastor can't necessarily dialogue with everybody in the congregation always, we uh, vote and appoint certain people to work alongside the pastors to execute ministry, and we. We call those uh, people our ministry leadership teams. And the chair of each of those teams makes up our trustees who meet regularly with our pastors. And and we have redefined, uh, we voted as a church to redefine those ministry leadership teams. We have an image uh, that kind of explains what happened uh, in that vote. So you see that missions and outreach moved to be two different teams, uh, a missions team that's focused on what we do in church planning and in the nation and globally, and then a community outreach engagement that's going to be focused more on getting our church family engaged in this community. We had a fellowship ministry leadership team. That group is actually falling under what is now a discipleship ministry leadership team. And as a result of all this, our properties ministry leadership team will fall under stewardship and work closely uh, with our administrator. And the reason that we Felt like the Lord was leading us to do this. And I believe the reason that our congregation voted to affirm this last Sunday night is because we want to place a greater emphasis on making disciples, on doing whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus and belong to God's family and become who God has created them to be. And so I'm excited about us moving forward in this direction. Um, You know, we've certainly have learned over the last year and a half that we never know what's coming around the corner, but we know what it is that God has called us to prioritize, and I believe this will enable us to do that more. If this kind of stuff interests you, which is not most of you, but if it does interest you, uh, we would love for you to consider to be a part of our ministry leadership teams. You can reach out to the church office or you saw instructions in the church-wide email that you read every word of every single week that was sent out this past week. I don't know why you're laughing about that. Um, And so you can follow the instructions on how you can get connected, but we would love for you to have a voice in what God is doing and leading here and so just pray for us if even if you're not going to be more involved in that just pray for us as we seek the Lord's will and pray for our brothers and sisters in Freeport as they plant a church in the midst of a pandemic I mean there's certainly a lot of uncertainty as they start off in this new uh, venture but you know what we're all guaranteed times of uncertainty I kind of thought that there was these privileged few who were exempt from From times of uncertainty, and then last year, the COVID pandemic hit in March, and I realized that this is true for everyone, that we all have times that we experience when we do not know what is going to happen. Maybe we don't know how we're going to make it financially, or we don't know what is going to happen with our health or the health of a loved one. Or what that person is going to decide and the implications of their decision, not only on their life, but on our life. A hard reality is that sometimes our future, or at least aspects of our future, is out of our control, it's in the hands of someone else or some kind of outside forces. Now, if we believe in God, we believe that God is that ultimate outside force. He is the one who ultimately allows and permits things to happen that happen. And so if we believe in God, then common sense says, if we want to understand what to do in times of uncertainty, because we look to all kinds of places in times of uncertainty, but if, if we believe in God, then we should go to see what God says. We should go To the Bible. If you've read the Bible a decent amount, then you learn that there's this reoccurring theme of storms. In the poetry, it uses storms as an illustration. In the narratives, in the the chronology of the Bible, we see people encountering literal storms. And in the instructions of the Old Testament and the New Testament, storms are used to explain life. Storms are these disastrous or trying times that are beyond our control. Think about a storm. Most of us are thinking about a storm right now, and we will be most of the months coming. We can do a lot to prepare for that storm, but there are forces at work that we cannot prevent or stop. They're going to do what they're going to do. Our trek through the Gospel of Mark brings us to a literal storm that the disciples encountered. And while this storm in Mark chapter 4 doesn't speak specifically to the financial crisis that you might be facing or the choices that person you love is making or the lack of clarity you have about a decision you're about to be faced with or what is the best approach to an ongoing pandemic, what this teaches us, what this helps us with is the most important thing. What keeps us going and what causes us not to be paralyzed by life's uncertainty. We've come to learn that the disciples are following Jesus and they're traveling around with him. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says, and Mark says that on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across. To the other side, Mark says, "On that day," to reference when this is taking place. So, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've been reading through several different teachings that Jesus taught. But the teachings that we've been looking through are all looking at are all happening on one day, and so Jesus is in this boat. He's speaking in parables to the crowd that is beside the sea from the boat, and he explains the parables further to the disciples. And then he says to the disciples, let's go across to the other side. Verse 36 says, and leaving the crowd, they took with him, excuse me, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Mark says, they took him with them just as he was, which means he probably did not go back to the shore. They just pulled in the anchor and headed out to sea. Mark's mentioning of other boats means that the group of insiders surrounding Jesus at this time was larger than 12, and they're on the Sea of Galilee in these Boats. The Sea of Galilee is also known as the Sea of Tiberias, according to John chapter 21, and other names if you read through the Old Testament. Basically, if you lived in a village near the sea, it was your sea. If there were a sea in between Crestview, Niceville, and Fort Walton Beach, we would all claim that it was our sea. I mean, Eglin Air Force Base, you know. Where's Eglin Air Force Base? Depending on where you're from, Crestview, Fort Walton Beach, Valparaiso. The Sea of Galilee was 13 miles long, And seven miles wide. It was 64 square miles. That's about half the size of the Chocowahatchee Bay. But it was about three times as deep as the bay. And it was already situated at surface level, 636 feet below sea level. In a very dry, arid climate, a sea surface could actually start below sea level. There were mountains on both sides of the lake. And the valleys on the western side of the lake kind of funneled wind onto the lake. And that's why what takes place in verse 37 takes place. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. The Sea of Galilee was susceptible to these sudden violent storms where very quickly six to seven-foot seven waves would be crashing against your boat. They were really in danger. And Jesus, he's... He's asleep. Verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And the cushion that Jesus is lying on is likely a sandbag used for as a ballast and They wake him and they say, hey, there's this storm raging. Do you not care that we're going to die? Now, I kind of like this insight into the life of Jesus because where we live, we often have these bad thunderstorms that spring up and we get these tornado warnings and watches and my wife is on her phone watching the weather channel or turned on, you know, Jim Cantore or whatever it is. And my kids are kind of freaking out and I'm usually asleep. So next time my wife gives me a hard time about that, I'm just gonna say, I'm just following Jesus and what he would do in this situation. Okay, I don't think that'll go over well, but that's all right. So verse 39, they, they, they come to him, they wake him, do you not care that we're dying? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Mark says that Jesus rebuked the wind. He uses this word intentionally to compare this action to what Jesus did with the demons. Now, he's not saying that the lake is demonic, but he's explaining that the kind of authority Jesus had over demons, he had that same kind of authority over the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still, which means be muzzled, be quiet. And as he did this, the wind and the sea Was calm. And what I want us to focus on is what Jesus asked them now. Verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, why would Jesus ask this question? It makes sense that they are scared. I mean, they're fishermen, most of them, so they're very familiar with what happens when these storms come upon the Sea of Galilee. And they likely know people who have lost everything, probably even their life, in these storms. So it makes sense that they would be afraid. So why does Jesus ask them, Why are you so afraid? Well, think about something. Why? Are they where they are? Verse 35, what we first read, says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Who put them in that situation? Who put them in that situation? This this is your opportunity to give the Sunday school answer and it'd be right. Jesus, put them in the situation they're in. They are following Jesus. That is why they are in this boat, on the sea, in the storm. Now let's pause for a moment and address something very important. Because a lot of times we think that God has put us in a mess when practically speaking, God has nothing to do with the mess we find ourselves in. We aren't trusting him. We aren't following him. We've neglected anything the Bible says about money, and we find ourselves with money problems. We marry someone who doesn't really walk with God, and then we find ourselves married to someone who doesn't really care about what God has to say about marriage or morals or parenting. We have patterned our parenting after the world and deprioritized them being in church, and deprioritized them being in the Word, and our children are acting like the world and not like the Word. I say this not because I have any right to judge you. I do not. But to explain to you why you are where you are. You did not listen to God. You did not trust God. And then we're like Adam And we're like, God, why did you give me this woman? God, why did you put this tree there? And God says, I gave you this woman to enjoy. I gave you marriage to enjoy. I gave you the garden to enjoy. And you sinned. You did what was right in your own eyes instead of trusting me. And you are facing the consequences of your sin. That might be why you are where you are. But in what we are reading today, that is not the case the disciples were right where Jesus wanted them to be and the storm comes this happens we're trying to prioritize God and all of a sudden things start breaking and things start going wrong and we just don't have enough money we're trying to live our lives to serve God and others and all of a sudden we get sick well, we get hurt, and it interferes with us trying to serve God and serve others. We're trying to get involved in leading in the church, and people start attacking us and ignoring us instead of listening to what we have to say. We thought we were doing well, and then someone in our family starts going off the deep end and causing us heartache. What are we To do? What do we do in these moments? And I I can think of a lot of answers. And I really encourage you to have people in your life to talk with about the nuances of your situation and to constantly be learning from other people who've been in similar situations like you are in right now or like you will go through. And there are things that I'd be happy to point you to if you wanna meet with me and talk to me. And it might take a lot of work and it might take a lot of patience to get through what you're going through. But the most important thing, listen to me, the most important thing that you remember, Christian, is you are okay. As a follower of Christ, you are okay. I don't think Bob Marley was right when he said every little thing is gonna be all right. But I do think The main thing is going to be all right. You are going to be okay. Jesus is with you. And even if Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm, he can wake up and make everything okay. But Jesus is not asleep, he is awake, he is alive. He is at the right hand of the Father and he has sent the Holy Spirit which dwells inside us as believers and Jesus is with you. God is with you. You are okay. The temptation in a storm is to look at what is around us and forget who is with us. In a storm, we are tempted to look at what is around us and forget who is with us. We are not promised a life absent Of suffering we are promised him in the suffering it is very important that you grasp this because that is the point of this text God takes you through storms for a reason now when you ask people why does God take us through storms it seems like the common answer and I think this is a westernized individualistic answer, but maybe it's always been like this, but it seems like the common answer today is that God takes you through storms to make you stronger. You'll be stronger now because of the storm you went through. But what is the ultimate purpose of that answer? So that you can get more glory? Because when you begin to dig down to a lot of what we call theology today, a lot of it is very centered around me and my will for my life, and what I can do in my life. Now, when we go through storms, do we get stronger? Do we grow? Are our storms used to help other people? Sure, probably. But that is not the ultimate purpose of these storms. And if you think it is, you are not as strong as you think you are. You aren't growing like you should, and you aren't helping people the way they need help. This is a kind of a long quote, so we have it in your insert. Craig, Bl- Craig Blumberg, biblical commentator, says this, Contemporary applications of this miracle almost universally demythologize the narrative so that it becomes a lesson about Jesus stilling the storms of our lives, Matthew and Mark, did not have such an application in mind. There are implications for discipleship here, to be sure. We must turn to Jesus as the one to trust in all circumstances of life. But the focus of this passage remains squarely Christological on who Christ is, not on what he will do for us. Look at the last verse of this text which tells us the implication of what took place on the life of the disciples. Verse 41, it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In this moment, Jesus demonstrated his authority. He demonstrated his sovereignty and this strengthened The disciples, their response was not, we are in a storm. We got this. We can do this. We believe in ourselves. We are enough. We believe we can fly. Their response in this moment was, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. God takes you through storms because when he calms the storm, you are amazed by him. Who is this that the wind and the sea obey? Who is this that provides for me when the math doesn't add up? Who is this that heals people when people say there is no chance? Who is this that melts the heart of the stone of the person we've all given up on? Who is this that uses me in a way which I never could have been used on my own? Who is this that has risen from the dead? Who is this that has changed my heart? Alistair Begg says, in every storm and in every trial of our lives, there is an opportunity for us to wonder again with the disciples concerning the identity and the authority and the majesty of Jesus. When the storm is still, the disciples are not amazed at what they might be able to do, but at what Jesus did and who Jesus is. they They were filled with fear and amazement, Luke tells us. All, the Bible tells us, is the natural reaction to the power of God. You see, the disciples didn't fully understand who they were with. I mean, they understood a little bit about him, and they, they didn't understand fully who he was. And it's interesting that in this moment, their mindset as fishermen who were experienced with being on sea was not to do what they naturally knew to do, but to know that Jesus was with them and to go to him first. They turned to Jesus and when they turned to Jesus in the midst of the storm, he grew them and this led them to trust him more. You see, what matures us is just an awareness of who Jesus is and a response to him in all. And increasing an awareness and awe of who Jesus is reduces what causes us to fear. An increasing awareness and in all of who Jesus is reduces what causes us to fear. There are going to be things that we are afraid of. There are going to be things that Jesus asks us to do that cause us to fear. But the more we know who he is, the more that fear shrinks because he is with us who you believe Jesus to be, is the most important earthly question you'll ever wrestle with. And every storm in your life is an opportunity to answer that question again. We tend to think that belief in Jesus is a one-time event. Now that's true as it pertains to salvation, but it's actually who we believe Jesus is in life situations that grows us and matures us, that actually shows who we believe him to be. And if you read through the life of the disciples, they were growing in the truth of what the psalmist described. Psalm 127, verse one and two. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. See, I can build, and I can watch out, and I can worry, but if God isn't sustaining that, then really all of my work and all of my watching out is futile. And why God does what he does and doesn't do what he doesn't do, I don't always know. And I don't fully know. And if I want my life to be easy and I want my comfortable to be my life to be comfortable and I want my life to be safe, it may not be. And in fact, following Jesus often takes me away from easy and it often takes me away from comfortable and it often takes me away from safe. I think the biggest problem with the American church today is that we have exchanged a life of ease and comfort and safety for a life of following Jesus. But comfort and ease and security isn't necessarily the way we would define those things, isn't necessarily the promise of God. And if you're following Jesus, I would say this, you aren't always safe as we define it, but you are always secure in the arms of Christ. If you are following Jesus, you aren't always safe, but you are always secure. This is a part of the journey that Jesus takes us on. And again, why he does things the way he does things, I can't answer all of that. I know that the disciples would have avoided the storm if they weren't following Jesus, but they would have missed the power of Jesus. And they learned that even in storms, if Jesus is with you, You are okay. I might be in the middle of a storm today, but even on wind and the waves, obey him. I might not know how I can be faithful to God and the math add up, but the numbers are his. I might not know about the future of my country in the next few decades, but his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures throughout all generations. I might be worried about the details of my children's future, but even the hairs on their head are numbered, and they are of more value than many sparrows." I might be worried I'm going to be able to make it through this difficult season, but God has a way of leading me beside still waters and restoring my soul. I might be uncertain about what God is calling me to do, but I am certain that God is faithful to finish the work he has began in me. I might be uncertain about how all my relationships are going to shake out on this earth, but I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And I might be facing death, but death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If I am following Christ, what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid? And even if the storm rages on, he is with me. And sometimes God allows storms to remain. Sometimes God leaves storms unstilled for good and godly reasons. Reasons in my limited understanding I do not know, causing me to be uncertain. But what I know is that I am okay. The reason that Jesus flexed like he did here and in other places was because of something he wanted the disciples to see. Something he taught on the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, at the end of chapter 7, Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you do them, you'll be like a man who's built his house on the rock When the wind comes, you'll stand. Jesus is talking about the storm of judgment that is to come. And that's the ultimate reason that Jesus wants you to see his power and his authority. The most, most important thing you can know about storms. The most important thing you know about storms is this that Jesus is the only one who can get you safely to the storm of judgment. The most important thing you need to know about storms is that Jesus is the only one who can get you safely through the storm of judgment. That is a storm. That is guaranteed to come. But if you are trusting in him. It's like building your house. On a firm foundation. You are okay. In the judgment. Of God. But if you're uncertain. About judgment. you need to know that the only thing that will make you okay in that judgment is if you belong to Jesus. If you believe that your life, fairly judged, falls short of God, and yet in God's grace, he has given you Christ And he has proved the authority of Christ. Not just over winds and waves, but over death. And you trust in him. That's your security in judgment. If that's you, I pray that today you would trust in him. I would encourage you, if that's you, and maybe even just have questions about that, to text the word believe to the number that's on the screen. And we would love to talk with you. We'd love to answer questions you might have. Maybe you came here with a friend. Talk to them about what it means to follow Jesus. And Christian, we believe that we will be safe in the storm of judgment. That when God comes in his glory and his might, to judge the earth, that we have peace. And if we have that kind of peace, then may that peace sit with us in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. May it be well with our soul, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of difficulty, because above all things, We know who Jesus is, and he is with us. And so we are okay. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for the demonstration of your power and authority. Yes, over wind and waves, but more importantly, over sin and death and the grave. And Lord, I just pray that we as believers, that that peace that you've earned, that peace that you've given us, God, that it would resonate deeply in our souls today and fuel a life of trusting you, of stepping out of what's comfortable and safe and easy for you, because we'd rather follow you in the difficult than be by ourselves. God, may your spirit minister to your people as you know we need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.